Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the VR Download, a weekly show recorded live in the Upload Virtual Studios, where we bring you the latest news, reviews, comments, and interviews from the VR industry. My name is Kyle, Operations Manager at Upload, and let's meet the rest of today's panel. Starting over here on my far left, Ian Hamilton, Managing Editor. Hi, I'm David, Senior Editor at Upload VR. I'm Denny, the uh, CEO and Creative Director at Cloud Ad Games. All right. And uh, Jamie may or may not appear later. We don't know. Let's, let's take a look at today's uh, news stories for the week. You'll have to wait a little longer to jump into Zero Gravity on Oculus Quest. Ready at Dawn this week announced that its upcoming port of Echo Arena to the standalone VR headset has been delayed. It's now coming sometime in 2020. There's no specific timing beyond that date. What do, what do we know about this, David? Uh, not very much. I know that we um, we announced uh, Echo Arena in the VR showcase back at E3. So that's when it was first announced with Ready at Dawn. And I got to play it at OC6. Um, it seems like a pretty capable port. I mean, it's about what you would expect. It's the same game. Um, it uh, Visually, there are some downgrades, obviously, because it is a Quest version of the game. But um, the gameplay seems to pretty much be intact. Um, the, the only thing I notice is reaching behind my back to you know grab the disc or throw the disc or something like that sometimes would be a little finicky. But um, it seems like a good port. And um, I, w- I was really impressed with it whenever I tried it. Um, yeah, so I guess they're just waiting to polish it more. I'm also curious to know if they're doing this to give it more room to be, you know, highlighted as a release, because I know Onward is coming soon. I know Pavlov is coming soon. I know Contractors is coming. All those are coming to Quest. And those are all kind of similar multiplayer competitive games. So maybe they're trying to make more room for it. I think Population 1 is even coming to Quest 2. And so there's a, there's a lot of big multiplayer games coming to Quest very soon. So uh, maybe they're just trying to give it more room to kind of stand out and Release closer to Lone Echo 2's launch window is probably what they're trying to do as well. So I'm, I'm curious, Denny, if you have any uh, uh, wisdom or input on this, because, you know, a game that was originally designed for PC that's trying to go to Quest, uh, from a development standpoint, do you understand that challenge? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so so when you say, like, you know, I don't know, there's, there's so many games that could come to Quest, but it's a extraordinary um, optimization challenge, obviously. Um, so I'm always a bit dubious when I hear rumors of things coming to Quest because th- there's just a massive engineering overhead. And if you're not kind of building for Quest from the beginning of production, you're probably not going to be able to make it on Quest. Hmm, yeah. yeah. Ian, what I are mean, your without, without an extraordinary oh. amount of money put into the effort, I guess is, is probably the other answer there. Well, well, right, right, yeah. Money fixes everything, doesn't it? <laughs> money and time, generally, yeah. <laughs> Ian, <laughs> Ian, what are your thoughts, Ian? Well, that's going to be an interesting title that we'll uh, have to see how it works over the Oculus Link uh, cord. So an update to Valve's Steam VR rolls out a number of long-awaited changes including the way the software handles audio. In the new Steam VR version 1.8, Steam VR will now select the appropriate input and output audio devices for the active headset on startup. And that is, is a feature that we could use right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that's according to the release notes uh, posted by Valve. And yep. then upon exit, Steam VR will restore audio devices to their previous state. Nice. That's awesome. Um, I, I and, know uh, for for me especially, uh, maybe not especially, just me specifically. Whenever it comes to VR. I'm always having to juggle my default audio devices to make sure, especially if I want to use a headset with a good mic like I am now or use the default stuff in whatever headset I'm using. It's Steam and Oculus all have their default settings. Then Windows has a default setting. And then it's it's such a mess. And I, I mean, anything that makes that easier would be great. I don't know how much I would trust that until I actually get to try it and use it. But I mean, it, it's very frustrating with the current way things are. Well, I mean, so many of us have multiple microphones, multiple sources for yeah. uh, audio, video, webcams randomly pick up. I, I don't know. Um, uh, Denny, uh, did you have struggles? Uh, do you have struggles with all of the hardware plugged into your computer constantly trying to figure out which mm. audio you're using? I mean, so it might be a bit unfair to say we have a we have a number of different things plugged into our computers at any given time. So we burn out a lot of USB ports, quite honestly. Um, we've had a few computers kind of go down because of such a broad range of hardware trying to kind of kind of deal with it. Um, in terms of like audio quality, I, so right now I'm, I'm in a Rift S. I don't actually know how it sounds to you guys from, from your end. It sounds pretty good sounds to me. Fantastic. Well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so I've noticed, um, you know, obviously the, the index... Valve Index has really great audio for for yeah. this type of application. Rift S seems to hold its own as well. So, because Steam's done a lot of uh, updates over the last you know year or so, is this is this what we want Steam to be updating? I mean, is this the most important thing? Well, there was there was a definite hardware knock on there, like in kind of just different iterations of the Index hardware, where they're mm. having a real tough time with um, you know kind of the Windows environment and how, how cleanly audio would switch over, um, especially for, you know, uh, the headset to, um, you know, go to headphones. You always kind of have that struggle of going into your Windows sound management tools and have to manually apply things. But it, it didn't seem to happen to everybody, so it was a real weird issue. They definitely needed to fix it, and I'm very glad they did because it was a pain in the ass. Mm. Good. And, and then for, you know, if you're using a program like OBS as often as I do you, with streaming or capturing footage, that just adds another layer of complication to things. Because sometimes OBS is listening to a different source than my default source that, that yeah. this is playing to. I've literally had it before where my headphones themselves split into two sources somehow. <laughs> and I had Discord <laughs> going to one source in the audio manager and OBS hearing a different source that would wow. the same. It was so weird. See, the funny thing is if you wanted it to do that, you wouldn't be able to make it do <laughs> that. true. Well, let's move on to the, uh, to the next topic. Uh, HoloLens 2, Microsoft's second enterprise-level AR headset, is now shipping. Yay. I uh, wasn't sure when that was going to happen. Actually, nobody did. Just last week, I read an article that said, we have no idea. Maybe it went back to 2020. The HoloLens 2 was introduced at Mobile World Congress earlier in the year. This new version brings with it a sleeker design, wide field of view, and an assortment of other improvements like gesture recognition and eye tracking. The device costs $3,500. That's $3,500, which places it well into the realm of an uh, enterprise device. Um, 
Jamie, let's start over here with you. What do you think Hollands 2? Yeah, we'll do the little head flip here. What do you think about the Hollands 2? Have you had an opportunity to try this device? Yeah, I, I was the one that tried it at Mobile World Congress. Um, and I am, I mean, everyone that knows me knows I'm not the biggest AR fan. Not that I don't believe it will be like a fantastic piece of technology for enterprise. Uh, Man, why, why, you gotta hate? why you got to hate? Because I just, VR's, in, in my opinion, VR is so much better, right? I, I like movies. I like entertainment. I like creation. And uh, right now, yeah. the space we're in, VR yeah, I agree. is way more the creative medium than the AR, right? So when I when I wrote my hands-on of the HoloLens 2, the thing I said was that is the first AR headset I could actually picture myself using because even though it's still not like a giant leap from the first HoloLens, uh, they make some strides in terms of things like comfort um, and accessibility that for me were always really important with the first HoloLens. I hated wearing that thing. It was... It pinched my nose. It like tried to crush my skull, um, and so for me, just the difference in ergonomics was huge. Uh, having said that, I'm not going to buy one because I don't have that kind of money sitting around. And there's, like I said, there's probably not going to be any games for it. There's not really be much in the way of entertainment for it. It's very much right now an enterprise level <clears throat> device, which I, you know, I entirely understand and entirely respect it as. But it's just not for well anyone sitting here unless. Denny has a secret HoloLens 2 sitting in his office right now. No, my, my opinion of all that stuff is I, I still don't understand who it's for. Like, is, mm. is it for consumers? No, it's too early. Is it for developers? Well, no, because there's no way I'm going to take a massive risk and spend a million dollars on building an application for HoloLens. Why would I do mm. that? That's ridiculous. There's no market. Um, yeah. There's no, there's not going to be a market for a significant amount of time. I hear the same thing um, talked about often with, you know, whatever Apple is doing with with their AR device. It's great that they're working towards that, but um, a lot of people are saying, oh, it's going to come out 2020. No way, that's coming out 2020. Mm. There's, I, I, from talking to all my peers, um, they are. There's so much work that they still have to do. Just the mm. entire AR market as a whole, there is so much work. If we've learned anything from VR, it's that the uptick and the growth curve is very slow. Um, and yeah. I, I see the same things happening with, with HoloLens, with whatever Apple's doing with Magic Leap. Um, mm. And there's also, they kind of shoot themselves in the foot in a little way because you know, as we saw with Magic Leap, uh, there was this shroud of secrecy for so long mm. that it ended up kind of hurting them in terms of what developers could do to yeah, enable the platform. Yeah. And if you're not, as, as an AR company, a uh, hardware manufacturer, if you're not pumping money into generating content, uh, you're already you're in a losing battle situation because there's no market and there's no way that I, as a developer, I'm going to pour any money into AR until I know that there's some kind of market to you know, release my products mm. to. So uh, I, personally, I feel like AR is five years away still. Um, I am super excited for the technology. I think when, once it's nailed down properly and they have like an active um, opaque VR mode, that's really when things will be a complete mm. game changer because yeah. you can use it in both ways. And whoever does yeah. that first basically wins all of the battles. So, you know, whether that's a Facebook doing their, their AR, AR initiative or if it's an Apple, one of those two companies is going to do it first, but it's definitely not coming next year. Yeah, You know, you bring up a really great point. As a developer, you don't want to develop, put effort and time and money into developing something 
for a piece of hardware that not a lot of people own. But then people yeah. don't want to buy a piece of hardware that doesn't have enough software for it. So that's the vicious cycle that we exist yeah. in right now. The thing I want to add there is uh, business use cases, right? Like that's where Magic Leap has refocused their effort. And uh, that's the, the one developer I've heard from is if you're building a specific application for a specific business and that business yes. is paying you for that development up front, then there's mm. possibly yeah. some single use cases for AR that way. That's basically the only way you can develop anything in AR. Is there by are, having having a B two B solution where somebody's paying you. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are, there are some very successful companies in the UK I know that are very almost exclusively focused on AR at the moment that started off in VR but are doing business use cases and it's going really really well for them. So, but the I mean the uh, to go back to the gaming thing though, how weird is it that on Magic Leap there's like an Insomniac game and just no one's what who knows how many people played that game right. I mean, five. Well, five. Yeah, yeah. Five. Well, I'm sure they <laughs> were paid for it, right? Like, so well, that, exactly. So, yeah, and, and so it's yeah, and and in that sense, they start. They went down the Oculus Studios route, right? But they started. They started it at such an early stage, which is which is really interesting. Like, Oculus didn't release any premium game until they had premium consumer hardware, right? And then they released Lucky's Tale and everything. But right now, it feels like Magic Leap is DK one, and they're funding you know, uh, Insomniac to release these big titles for, and it's just a very bizarre situation. Well, the HoloLens 1 did have several games, some of which were very appealing uh, to me. One of them that I thought was really interesting was Fragments. Yeah, it was the murder, like murder mystery Mm -hmm. game where there were like characters sitting on Mm -hmm. your couch and talking to you and you had to go like actually look for clues in your own house. Like stuff like that was pretty cool. But, um, and I remember Magic Leap has forever talked about this concept of like a ghost girl game where there's like a ghost haunting your house, which is really cool to me. There's some mobile mm-hmm. AR games like that. Like night terrors is one of them. Um, oh, they my use kids your phone as like a portal <laughs> to like see demons coming into your house. And I don't know. I mean, there are definitely game applications, but I do kind of agree that it's more of a, like a business type thing, especially now. Um, well, at thirty five hundred dollars, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. that that's your, your enterprise only right now. With that. And there, there's one sort of a tangent. We have a question from someone in the chat from Lily. She wants to know what we think about the potential of there being like virtual schools that people could attend just in like the metaverse, kind of like Ready Player One, where you know you have a headset or an AR goggles or something, and the lessons come to you digitally rather than you having to mm-hmm. go to a physical place. So you, I mean, I think that sounds like a cool concept, and I, I don't know if anyone's you know theorizing what that looks like, but I know <laughs> that VR is used in schools right now, but um, you know, having a full curriculum, I think, would be really amazing. Mm. That company, uh, VR, uh, VR Education, based in Ireland, I think, yeah, that's no, got the Engage mm-hmm. platform. Um, they're trying to build sort of interactive, do it, things that really engage you in different ways. Um, they did the Apollo 11 uh, experience that was kickstarted a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. No, mm-hmm. Titanic. And the Titanic as well. Titanic yeah. is really good. Yeah. I want to talk about that, uh, the Scream. There's a, a Steam version <clears throat> of the Scream where you can go face-to-face with that oh, uh, yeah, the portrait. Painting. And the yeah. environment around you, around you changes to sort of uh, make you familiar with the underlying themes and history of the artist. And it's a really powerful, intimate way of getting to know the artist behind uh, various paintings, because I think that's actually one of several different pieces of software on 
Steam does, that you can find. Does Google still do their VR expeditions program they did for elementary schools where it was like VR yeah. field trips and stuff? I think they still do it. Like they're still actively partnering with schools on that. It's not like a yeah. platform that will grow in any way, I don't think, anytime soon. Well, but cardboard <clears throat> is, I mean, it's, cardboard's oh, it's done, source, right? That's so. true. Yeah, yeah, they open source yeah. it. I think, I think the cautionary tale that, that spools into all of that, especially, you know, as it relates to, you know, how accessible the platforms are for schools and whatever is just what I've seen over the last six years is, you know, hardware companies pouring billions of dollars into hardware, but making a critical error when it comes to developing software in tangent with their hardware. Mm. And we're, we're starting to see them pull out of that no- nosedive a little bit, you know, you know, Sony, Oculus, Valve to all and HTC to all different degrees have been pouring more money into uh, software development or at least supporting developers who are building for the ecosystem. But mm. it's like in some ways too little, too late, depending on which OEM you are. But um, so when when it comes to like AR or any new platform, like my I, I've been a pretty vocal advocate about you know you guys have to support. Um, the developer community, and and not just um, who you think might be a good fit to build for your platform, because mm. it's it's the people that are out there that are willing to take the risk and and build an, an investment group around their company or or put their own money into building a thing that are going to actually give you the most gains in terms mm. of ab- using and abusing your technology and making it actually mean something. So right. Microsoft maybe should go back to developers, 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 developers. Always. That should that should be the <laughs> default. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny yeah. you say that because that's basically what the the new head of Sony just said in an interview with GamesIndustry.biz. Mm. He just talked about how we're not really targeting any big first-party things for PS5 yet. We're not going to have anything like that initially. So instead, we want to go to the indies, go to the developers, and have you guys make stuff for us. And Smart. you know, bring content so we have things ready for launch in the first year or so. Yep. And um, you know, they recommitted to VR. He's like, yeah, we were really passionate about it. Blah blah blah. Um, so I mean, that's that's a sentiment that some companies have, which I do think is the right mindset for sure. Um, but a lot of that mindset hasn't funneled down into the AR space yet. It's what it seems yeah. Like. I, I will say, I will say that um, both Sony and Oculus have had that kind of title shift in terms of refocusing um, some development dollars towards uh, independent developers. Yeah. Um, and it's been super encouraging. It's really this this year they've kind of refocused, which is great. Yeah, I think especially like in the Oculus side, they they realize how much they need that for Quest, right? Like how much that platform's gonna. Live and die yeah. by indie support at the end of the day. Um, and probably the same for Sony too. You've got to imagine right now they're, they're talking about their PSVR 2 plans and, and how to get out the gates running with that. So Yeah, yeah, we've seen it. So it, it, the future looks pretty bright right now. Cool. For a change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So that was our discussion about HoloLens 2. Good stuff, guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk about some news from HCC this week. The wireless adapter and compatibility pack for the Vive Cosmos is now available to purchase in the United States for $350. (laughs) Compatibility pack includes a 21-watt power bank along with a connection cable to connect the power bank and some pads to mount the bank to the headset. This means your Cosmos can become an untethered wireless system, providing you're willing to shell out for the adapter and your computer has a spare 
PCI Express slot? We need a spare PCI Express slot. So I actually have the wireless device for uh, the the Vive Pro, and I had to plug a card into my computer with an antenna, and it has to be able to sit out and see where you're at. Uh, does anybody else have the yeah. the wireless solution? I've, I've used that a couple times. It's such a... It, I didn't think it would be such a pain, but yeah, it's hard to make sure you've got that PCIe port. I've, I lost a PC, and the next one doesn't have an easy access port, and so you can't go wireless. And uh, mm-hmm. just, I, I it's 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 a lot to take in. There's even though it's called wireless, there's still like three wires on your head running from the battery pack and the yeah. transmitter and stuff. I don't know. That's that's the that's the total misnomer with with that thing to me. It's always been kind of the thing I didn't. <laughs> like yes, it's wireless, but now I've got a huge cord still draping down to my pocket. That's yeah. not wireless. That's <laughs> yeah. almost wireless. Yeah. Um, but I mean, what it's doing is great in terms of mobility, but um, in terms of setup and ease of use and like no friction for the end user, it's still got a huge way, long, long way to go. That's why you know what the Quest did ultimately was take away all those pain points yeah. at, at yeah. the cost of certain other things. But. Mm-hmm. And one mm-hmm. quick thing, I just want to answer someone in chat. They're, I guess they tried Pistol Whip, and they're confused why it's only one gun. That's the default way to play the game. If you go into <laughs> the modifiers, you can turn on dual wielding, and there's other modifiers there too. So hopefully yeah. you heard that, Alan. You get um, a boom. penalty, though, for dual wielding because basically yeah. you're... Makes it easier. You, you've got more bullets. <laughs> right, right. Who, who sent um, that comment, David? That is Alan Pickering. Take that, chat. Alan Pickering. You've been Pistol Whipped. Um, yeah so for the the wireless thing the other thing too is it is so expensive for Mm. for the for that price you can just buy a quest i mean you wouldn't have the same library but at least it's actually wireless i mean i I don't know like i just feel like if you're going to spend 700 on a cosmos already and then you're going to spend another 350 to make it wireless that's just i don't see how that's worth it 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 makes you it makes you sorry. It, it makes you a little worried for the concept of the Cosmos as this modular device that HTC has built it as, right? Because it just, to me, it reeks of well, when do I stop pouring money into this thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a toughie because the other the other big problem that I have is that when the wireless works, uh, when it when the when the HTC wireless solution works for my uh, Vive Pro and I'm assuming the Cosmos will have the same uh, kind of setup, is that when it works, it works well. But when you start losing your line of sight or you get too far away or the signal degrades for whatever reason, uh, you suddenly start to feel very pixelated. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of you who have tried this, uh, when it's not working, it just Mm -hmm. you turn into super blocky. Yeah, it uh, takes you out of the experience. Yeah. Yeah, it breaks the immersion definitely. It's yeah, I mean that's the same issue I've had whenever I try to um, wirelessly connect the Quest and my PC with you know Riftcat yeah. or you know other mm-hmm. options like that. It's you know just the compression and the wireless signals just generally across the board just aren't good enough yet. I think mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a stopgap, but you know we're not really to that point where it can be one to one wireless signals from a PC. Um, you know, so mm. yeah, it's tough. Yeah, wireless is hard. Yeah, it is. Just kind of like input used to be hard. Is input still hard? <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
I don't know. Is it? I, I'm, st- I'm still waiting. I mean, uh, again, what Quest is doing with um, just in, um, tracking fingers like uh, Leap Motion is mm. it's a super important step for VR, I think. that The sooner we have that kind of input, um, the sooner developers can start wrapping their heads around what the best use case is for that. You're still going to want controllers for guns and whatever, or haptics. But like in terms of putting a headset on your mom or your cousin or whatever yep. that's never had that first experience, you just because that's your first impulse when you get into VR is looking at your hands. Mm-hmm. Where's my hands? So the second that's just there natively, I think that's a that's another significant kind of pain point removed for consumers. I've, I've lost track of the number of stock photos I've seen of like a Gear VR <laughs> user looking at their <laughs> yeah. hands. With that, yeah, exactly. that's, that doesn't even have cameras. So I mean, it's it's just so silly to see. Um, some people in chat are noticing your mouth isn't synced, Kyle. Do you have Dash open? I do not. Oh, oh uh, well. Hmm. I don't know. Or, it's just I mean, how thick your beard is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, okay. Well, what 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 else does uh, HTC have in terms of news here? Uh, it looks like HTC is now selling certified pre-owned first-generation Vives for three ninety-nine. <laughs> The same price as a new Oculus Rift S. Or Quest. So the original Vive, HTC oh. Vive, which was first released in April 2016, was $799, brand new. In 2017, it was reduced to $599, and finally to $499 in 2018. So prices are being slashed by HTC. Would you recommend, uh, David, that somebody go and buy one of these refurbished vibes? The only scenario I would probably recommend it is if you want like a second headset of some kind, mm. or you already have base stations and you're looking to replace your Vive or it's broken. I, I don't think if you're looking to get into VR, I would recommend getting a used Vive. Uh, I don't. I don't think that that's really worth it, especially with how high the fail rate is on some of these. It just—I I don't know if I would re- if I would recommend that. Yeah, the price point personally. seems a bit crazy to me. Like if they're yeah. gonna if they're gonna try to sell you know refurbished overstock, it should be like two hundred. I don't know. Yeah, they need to. Yeah, go like, way are lower, you trying to get rid of it or are you trying to make money? Like, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, we know that they made a ridiculous amount of them at one point. They were handing them away like like candy at Halloween mm. for developers. Uh, with well, that was the pre. Um, but the the standard vibe. I mean, three ninety nine does seem a little high to me. I don't know, Ian. What what do you think? Yeah, I, I can't imagine a scenario other than maybe trying to get a low cost way to get the index controllers combined with the Steam VR tracking system. Because uh, you know, there's still some people out there that will refuse to use anything Facebook, and I can perfectly understand that. And so then you get this $400 headset outside-in tracking system that doesn't put cameras on your walls, and uh, get the index controllers from Valve, and you've got. Uh, some really incredible experiences you can have with with five finger tracking, but that's doesn't seem a route practically anyone's going to go down. I just it's a it's a big stretch there. Yeah, but just if you're like willing two, to two fifty should be the price point or something yeah. closer to that. Yeah, no, I fully mm-hmm. agree. Yeah, because if you if you did that system, if you if you bought it that way, you would have two sets of controllers. You'd have the original Vive ones plus the index controllers. But, you know, and you'd have a backup for whenever your chargers run out or you want to play a different type of game. But, I, yeah, I just I can't imagine it. Because the index controllers by themselves are 250. So you're looking at 650 to do that when 
I mean, when you're when you're getting up that high, like I just maybe maybe I don't have the right sort of appreciation for um, outside in lighthouse tracking, but I don't see it being better than you know like a Rift S and a Quest almost in terms of price. Like that value seems much higher to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking HCC, you need to start selling these for. We'll be we'll be generous here. Two forty nine. <laughs> yeah, two forty nine, two forty nine with the wireless thing built built in. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh well. Now you're blowing up their margins. <laughs> yeah, now yeah. people are buying refurbished vibes to rip the wireless off and uh, put on different headsets. <laughs> I've solved it. Get Alvin Graylin on the phone. I'll tell him. There we go. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> okay, uh, I think that's enough for the news. Let's move on to. Release of the week. So, uh, actually, Ian, since you're here, um, will you go ahead and do the honors and repeatedly say the title of a certain <laughs> game for us? Uh, Pistol Whip is out today on all major headsets except PSVR. So that's in the works, right, Denny? Yeah. Uh, so you can go. It's $25. Price of $25. It's got 10 tracks. I've put in something around 50 hours on Index and uh quest it's it's an extraordinary release congratulations thanks appreciate that yeah. so denny so, what is your take on pistol <laughs> now save all that for the interview but um you know obviously we've been talking a lot about this game and a lot of people are excited to play it um what are your what are your thoughts on uh releasing this game <clears throat> Right now, before the holidays, do you have ex- expectations for how it's going to do? Um, <laughs> that's a really interesting question. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we we built Pistol Whip to kind of serve this time in the market, you know, to, to make it fit where we thought people were interested in jumping in and playing. And we thought a lot about onboarding and, you know, what that, what that looks like for kind of a new generation of VR players. And so the, you know, the quest in a lot of ways kind of laid the roadmap out for us in terms of what we were going to build for our next game. Um, When we, you know, released preview copies to the, to the press, I mean, maybe I should roll back when we started sending this out, you know, in a super kind of um, covert way to some of our peers, um, we didn't, we weren't sure what to expect. Um, but we got back this really incredible feedback saying, you know, you guys are onto something here. This is going to be as, as big as Beat Saber and all all this stuff. But you take that with a grain of salt and you kind of, you know, walk it back from there and go, okay, well, that's our that's our friends talking, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's cool off on that. Kept working on it. And then we started, you know, trickling it out to reviewers and streamers and stuff like that just to get them get them in a play cycle and get them on the leaderboards and then get, you know, kind of active feedback on what was and wasn't working. And we had been, we had a play test cycle with around a hundred people prior to that. But, um, the feedback we kept consistently getting back was that it was sticky and addictive and all those things you want to hear. Right. And easy to understand. Um, and so at some point, um, I think we all recognized there was something, you know, really strong there that, it will it will compete you know we we personally believe it will compete with beat saber it will compete with super hot it will compete with that that tier of games um and because 
when we started it, we started with a core of fun. If we ever lost that core of fun, we knew we we had already lost the battle. So we we maintained fun as the 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 biggest pillar of all. So right now we're feeling confident, but let's see how the next six months go. I guess we have a, mm. we have a whole like string of updates lined up for the product. Um, so um, it's it's a very much a live uh, product that we're going to support really heavily over the next year. Mm. Um, so we're we're pretty optimistic right now, and and. I hope we can maintain that optimism. <laughs> well, good, good. And I look forward to hearing you and Ian talk a little further uh, about it later in your interview. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, David, you had some other games that you've played this week um, that are in contention for release of the week. What, what do you got going on? Uh, I wouldn't say in contention for release of the week. I think that's pretty clear. Um well, what the release of the week is, but uh, other games that are notable that I want to shout out are um, Wolves in the Walls is uh, now oh, fully yeah. available. The third chapter mm. of that came out today. It is a fantastic VR adaptation of the really classic Neil Gaiman um, children's book. Um, yeah. Really, really, really well done. Um, they do some incredible stuff with Lucy, the character that you interact with that just makes her more believable, I think, than pretty much any NPC I've interacted with in VR. The way she talks with you, the way she reacts to you, she remembers things you do and say and references them later. And it's just, she feels so real. And it's the way that they juxtapose that with the fact that you're her imaginary friend that she created just makes it feel even more, just, it feels so cool. And, and it's just great because you're she's the only one that can see you and talk mm -hmm. to you. So it's just, it's almost like you're her private little, you know, buddy that she talks with. And it's, it's so cool. It's, it's really well done. Um, one of the others is um, Pavlov got a new update. Mm -hmm. um, it's more than doubled in price, which I was shocked to see. It went from nine ninety nine to twenty four ninety nine, um, wow. which I knew they've been talking about doing that, but it just seemed to, I don't know. It's, it sort of shocked me because the update only, added some things that had been sort of already tested and um, it didn't seem like a big update to, to they mark in early the price access? increase. They, they are yeah. still, yeah. Oh, Even after the price hike. Yeah. See, from, okay. a, from a developer's perspective, that makes sense to me. They're, they're trying to get people yeah. into an early kind of buggy version of the game and then adding more and more content. So they, they I mean, Beat Saber did this as well. They, they started sure. early access yeah. at 1999 and then went up to 33 or whatever mm. it was. Um, yeah. It makes sense just in terms of like the expense of developing a game and pu pushing in a bunch of features like that over time. Yeah, um, especially yeah. if you're especially if you're coming out saying we are early access and we're trying to make it this great thing, but and then there's an expectation of um, you know more value. Yeah, no, I get it's, it. It's just I guess to me after two and a half years of being that same price, it, yeah. it just seemed it seemed kind of arbitrary timing but i guess i mean well, if, if they had a plan they just the communication wasn't as right. good as yeah. it could have been communication yeah. is a big thing but, yeah exactly yeah. that's the thing right usually you uh the way i've seen developers do it the best is when they say it's going up in price on this date so you have a week still to buy it at this price uh yeah and then after that it's on you sort of thing right yeah, um, the, warning, the only yeah. the only other thing is that obviously pavlov is coming to quest like next month right and I yeah, just wondered maybe if so, there's yeah. some, maybe if it's some sort of pricing parity thing there that they're going for, or either, although I, maybe I remember them saying it was going to be free or something on Quest, but I can't remember. But, yeah. And the other interesting thing too that it does is it puts it at the same price as Onward. 
um, which has always been uh, twenty four ninety nine, mm-hmm. and now Onward also has custom maps, which was kind of the big feature <coughs> Pavlov had over Onward. And so now that now those games are very very similar in terms of price and content. Uh, but the interesting thing is Onward, when it comes to Quest, its custom maps are going to work on Quest with crossplay across all platforms. I, I don't know how they've managed to do that, but they claim that it'll be that it'll happen, um, which is incredibly impressive to have custom map support on Rift, on Quest, on Vive, and crossplay yep. on all three headsets. That's that's going to be pretty amazing. Mm. And um, that's so a really lot of engineering hours too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean that that studio continues to impress me because Dante Buckley he dropped out of college and taught himself everything he knows mm. just to create Onward as his dream game. He's built the studio. He has a team now. He's turned down job offers from like Valve and all these other mm-hmm. companies to stay indie. And he it's really, really, really admirable. And I think he's done a great job. Onward's easily still one of the best VR games. Yeah, I met him at OC Six. He was a real personable, down to earth guy too. I hope. I wish him all the best success for sure. Yeah, we're we're gonna have him on a future episode. Hopefully, I've talked to him about it. So, yeah, shout out to Dante doing. Yo, good Dante. Stuff. Um, hey, yeah, I think that's about it. Autica, I think, is a full release now as well this week. Um, and it came out on PSVR, um, which is um an, another rhythm shooting game, but it is very different. Yeah. Um, comparing the that to Pistol Whip is it's I mean they they include music and shooting guns but that's about the only similarities they have. Mm. Um, Attica is much more about standing still, shooting targets as they come to the beat of the music rather than going through a level and shooting enemies. And uh, the music style is different as well. Attica has a lot of different styles and it's um it's a uh, by harmonics. Um, it's good though. It's another good rhythm game, so I, I recommend it. Jamie, I feel like you. Uh have yeah. been doing hand cues to let me know you have a comment there. Uh, I was going to ask Denny, um, when you decided to release uh, in November, did you have a sense that it was going to be such a busy month? Because I feel like this is probably the biggest month of VR releases ever. We have Storm Stormland next week. We have yep. Doctor Who next week, Curious Tale. There's a Beat Saber update today, what we just listed up earlier. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention that. Rocket League music and Beat Saber. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I should ask, are you hearing a lot of audio spillover from my end? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Okay. Um, Sorry, is there like a mute function in... If you take the headset (laughs) off, it'll go muted for a second. Okay. Uh, Okay. Anyways, sorry, it's it's a bit of a circus around here right now because we're obviously launching today and everybody's like (laughs) nervously watching different assets and different reviews coming out and all of that stuff. Well, we'll Um, be wrapping up after the interview so you can get back to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, we did. The short answer is yes. We did know that it was going to be a crazy month for um, releases. Mm. Um, uh, and what do I have to say about that? I have to <laughs> say that Oculus was really cool to to kind of talk to and strategize a bit about that. Originally, we were uh, we were pushing for an August launch of this year, um, but mm. decided that you know, and, and with Oculus's kind of consultation and help that we could polish it up a bit more and target it for a more of like a holiday season launch. Um, and I think we're going to do better ultimately because of those choices. And um, even though we're, we're releasing in a, in a really dense month of, of title releases, I, I think, I still think we're going to do okay. We, you know, we've always known that Pistol Whip would hit a very kind of specific niche of player. You know, it's it's the player that wants to jump in and 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 get a rewarding experience in like ten to fifteen minutes, um, with with very little like uptick in terms of learning curve. So, 
Mm. I still think we're going to perform really well against those bigger titles. Cool. Hmm. Okay. Do we have any other <laughs> comments, David, that we need to address? I know people are chatting about Pistol Whip, um, talking about Autica some. Um, it looks like uh, Wolves on the Wall. Some people are appreciating that shout out. They like that one. Um, some people are noticing some issues with the Quest version, but I'm sure most of these are things you already know about, Denny. Some issues with the menu and stuff like that. Just weird little QA issues that I'm, I'm sure have been reported already. Yeah, we have. I mean, as with all games that ship the bugs, we have a bug log that we're... Yeah. This this game is going to be updated like weekly, so there's there's a bunch of stuff we're not you know sweating or worrying about too much. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Very cool. Hey, let's move on to our hot topic of the week. So the hot topic is VR's killer app. Is there one? Does one exist? Do we need one? Do we already have one? Is one coming? Is it pistol whip? What what do we got going on here? So let let's let's start over here. Ian, I'm really curious about your opinion. What is the VR killer app in your opinion, if it exists already? Uh great question. Uh I'm gonna say what we're doing right now, right? In in Denny is in <laughs> Vancouver, right? Uh Jamie over there is in London. Uh, you're in Seattle and you are in Silicon Valley. So we're, uh, five people completely different parts of the planet. And we feel like we're present together recording this podcast. Uh, I know there's a long way to go until we want to do this all day long for our jobs or even for fun. Uh, the headsets still give us headaches after 20 minutes. But yeah, the, I, I've talked to people at Valve, I've talked to people at Oculus, and teleportation and feeling like you're present and there with someone else who's far away is the killer app. Um, everything we, you know, the question, uh, you know, a, a better question is what's the killer app for the headsets we have today, right? Mm. And uh, that's where we start talking about things like Beat Saber and Pistol Whip where you can get in and out really quickly. The moment you start to feel a little bit uncomfortable, you just take the headset off, you come back when you're ready, um, and get a really exhilarating feeling very, very fast. And then, you know, just put it away if you don't have a lot of time for it in your life right now. Um, those are my thoughts, at least. Jamie, how about you? Do we have a killer app, or are we still waiting on something? So. I've actually been saying to uh, Ian and David today, there's this, this interesting thing is that recently we changed our review score system and we went to a five-star system because we felt uh, we'd probably end up using the wide range of, of scores a bit more often. Uh, now, as of today, uh, we've been on that system for maybe a month, maybe a month and a bit, and we have two... Uh, five out of fives. We've never given perfect scores before. We now have two five out of fives. Um, and I, there's a good chance, let's say by the end of the month, that that might move up to three five out of five stars. I'll say. <laughs> I wonder what game you're talking about. No, 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 no nothing. Um, and and to me, and and as I was just saying, uh, me and Denny were just saying, it's an incredibly packed month of releases as well this this these couple of weeks of releases don't feel like 
a VR release cycle. They feel like the mainstream video game industry release cycle, at least in my opinion. We've got a couple of you know AA games. We've got a lot of really great middle ground stuff. And then we've got some really cool lower level indie stuff as well, all releasing in the next four or five weeks. So for me, it's not so much about the killer app anymore as the feeling that developers are starting to really grasp it and that we are seeing more consistently excellent releases now than we are searching for that one thing that everybody wants, right? Because everyone wants something different out of VR. Ian wants teleportation. Uh, David wanted Skyrim, and look what he got. He got Asgard's Wrath, right? And and I think for you, you'd say that Asgard's Wrath is a VR killer app, right? Uh, No, I don't think I would. (laughs) All right, fine. (laughs) Thanks, man. Well, I mean, I, my my point that I want to make is I I don't think that conversation of what a killer app is or what the killer app will be existed for other mediums very much. And I, I think, think it, a, I think a I killer think app is something that consoles. you define retroactively. After something I, has been out, you look back and say, "Oh, that was a killer app." You can't predict it. It depends when when a console launches that's when people are very, very uh, speculative about what it might be, right? I remember when the PlayStation 3 launched, everyone was discussing what the killer app would be because the Xbox 360 already had like Halo 3 and Gears of War. And so people were like, well, what is the answer for the PS3 that will make people start buying the PS3? And it was, I guess some people would say it was Metal Gear Solid 4 or whatever. Um, And I I think think it just shifts too much because of the way VR is like even in chat right now, I have some people saying they want VR to be more like an an overall operating system, like in Shadowrun, rather than directory approach like we have now. You have another person here in chat um, saying Chris Richardson thinks it's movies and TV sharing like big screen and Plex. That's his killer Mm. app for VR. Or you have people thinking, oh, you know, I think Beat Saber is already the killer app or VR chats. What I, I do it every day, you know, that's that's my killer app. And. I just think that trying to search for the like holy grail of VR experiences mm. is is a little misguided. I don't think I think the well, mindset yeah. should be on making the best VR that we can, exactly. And just letting it happen. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was saying. Is we I think we're getting there is on on instead of just this one thing that's doing that. Yeah. I feel like we're all leveling out now. Um, yeah, you you guys are cleaning into the same thing, but like let's just be real here. VR's killer app. That's all um, investor speak nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, that true. isn't that isn't how any like super progressive disruptive technology works. Generally, there's not one yeah. single thing. Um, and you're both right. The like it, it's VR's killer app. Maybe arguably the metaverse. Like when once we have, you know, something that's that's really compelling that you dive into every day, and it's it's a complete holistic social structure and it looks good and sounds and feels good yeah. and you're able to work in it and live in it and socialize in it um but that's still quite a ways off as we all know right. but um the 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 killer app is really just a broad adoption the more people that are in mm. vr um they're going to pick out their favorite things like mm. there, there is no killer app i i hate hearing that on <laughs> twitter and linkedin like just stop it's, yeah. it's, no it's a very trite phrase. I, I only is. ever hear it whenever someone doesn't want to get a VR headset. They, they <laughs> no, use it as true. a reason not to. No one ever right. says, "Oh, that's the killer app." That's why. It, no, they, they say, "What? Well, what is the killer app?" I don't. I don't care about Beat Saber. I don't care about this. So, what's the killer app? No, yeah. that's that's what people say as a re, as a response. Yeah, because they don't understand what it is. Right. Next yeah. time somebody asks you that question. 
what is the killer app for VR? Say, I don't know. What's a killer app for your computer? What about yeah. your phone? Exactly. What's what a killer about, app for TV? Yeah, or the TV. Right. What's a killer <laughs> well, that app was for the TV? office. That's obvious. I mean, oh. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, I do agree, though, that that term really can cause uh, quite an interesting conversation. It's very subjective. So, um, yeah, who knows? Maybe something will come out that is universally understood. Like maybe it'll be a metaverse. Maybe it'll be, you know, something Facebook puts out or something Valve puts out or something a third party puts out. Who knows? But right now there are plenty of things that are totally killer in VR that don't yeah. actually deserve that title, but they are definitely awesome. So depending I, I on do who, think who you we are. Have, I, th- I would say we have definitely reached the point where there is enough good VR content that I could, I could reasonably imagine a world where there is an amazing VR experience out there for everyone. Yeah. I think regardless of yeah. your interest, yeah, there true. is something great out there that would that would probably convince you that VR is worth it. It's just a matter of getting it in their hands and having them try it. That's, that's Mm -hmm. the struggle. Mm -hmm. I, Mm -hmm. I I have to say, I think that we need the hand tracking first for that to really be fully true. True. But you're, you're, you're really, you're right. I mean, just, we need the hand tracking to unlock it for a whole category of people. Yeah. And uh, I think Kyle's avatar has frozen. Uh Oh yeah. Yeah, Can you still hear me? We can we can hear you, but uh, I think we're going to be transitioning to the interview segment anyway. Um, so, yeah, thank you everyone for chatting with us. Um, I hope you don't mind, Kyle's, But since my avatar isn't frozen, I'll I'll do the the outro. And <laughs> I'll take over the interview for you. <laughs> Go for it, sir. Thank you. Yeah, your disembodied voice can can guide me if you need to. Um, but yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of the VR download here, where we talked about all the latest news and releases. And, uh, but now we're going to transition over to the interview segment where Ian is going to chat with Denny about a little game called pistol whip that you might've heard of. And we're going to have a great time. They're going to go teleport over there and make sure you tune in every Thursday here on YouTube at upload VR for the VR download, where we have a new episode and a live chat with a developer live on the stream and check out uploadvr.com for our latest news and reviews. Like our pistol whip review is now live and uh, we'll have more great stuff throughout the week and into the future. And next week, our Stormland review will be live from Jamie. And uh, yeah, so thank you everyone for tuning in. Make sure you keep watching for the full interview. We're going to, teleport them over there yep there there, there he is cool oh so you guys over oh so oh no don't worry about it we'll do it next week going over there danny send us over heaney oh here we go we're back sorry i'm blocking my mic because there's there's office noise (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i'll try to make this as quick as possible i'm so appreciative of you joining us today uh, to, to be clear, I want to sort of capture the moment in time. So uh, when do you as a developer hit publish or like, like w- what is the physical process of making your game live to the world? Wow, that's the huge question. Um, how right, do I the, break the, the, the very last process? I mean, like the, you do have oh, to hit like send sure. or publish on every platform and how recently did you do that compared to when we were, when we're talking right now? Right. Well, I mean, every, so I think what was different about pistol whip was mainly that we were, you know, we have an active leaderboard and there's a bunch of modifiers that place you in different kind of filtering orders on the leaderboard. Um, if you're using dead eye or whatever, anyways, as a, as a live product, it, 
we had to account for different SDKs that would serve leaderboard functionality. So it wasn't just a matter of like, oh, let's get a build in two weeks prior and then and then ship it. Um, because we had all these leaderboard knock-ons that needed to be accounted for at the um, the ecosystem level. So whatever their SDK was had to be implemented. So there was a bit of a mad dash to make sure that all the leaderboard stuff was stable and um, shippable, I guess. Um, but other than that, it was a pretty normal process. Do you have any expectation for when you'll be able to get that PSVR version out? Uh, we're not announcing anything yet, but it's been something in, in the works and planned for for a long time. But it'll it'll be sooner than later. Hmm. So uh, the I lost my train of thought a little bit, but I want to talk about um, sort of what Cloudhead is as a studio and how you arrived at Pistol Whip. Because your first two games are completely different from Pistol Whip. And I, I don't... I think it might, it's probably a surprise out there to people that you arrived at something so different from those first two. So I'm curious about that process. How did you arrive at such a different game? Yeah, um, interestingly, it's not that far off from kind of the studio sensibilities in the first place because, you know, for the longest time we talked about, oh, wouldn't it be awesome to do Indiana Jones? Let's take that scene for scene and rebuild it as a VR experience, like some some kind of movie narrative that you get pulled through that you can't stop as a user. You You just have to... Um, kind of react to it. So uh, the whole studio is a big fan of just movies in general. Uh, and when we started, you know, getting into action movies and then John Wick came out, there was this kind of moment where we're like, well, so what if we took action movies and then we broke them down based on, you know, how they're, how they're actually um, editing those scenes and pulling a user through a scene or rather the viewer in this case through a scene because of the orchestration and because of the soundtrack. And they're doing these really smart cuts beat for beat as you kind of move through an action sequence. So we're like, how, how could we translate that to a game and in VR that would be sticky and something we could accomplish with, you know, a, a medium budget and not a ton of time. So that was really kind of the, the starting point for what Pistol Whip eventually became was, you know, how do you drag a user through an unstoppable action sequence and just really tap into a reactive mind more than anything else? Mm. The, the, the reason I was bringing up the multiple versions of the game was uh, I got an update for the Quest version probably an hour before your launch mm. uh, was, was scheduled to uh, go. Uh, so it was clearly evolving product even to the last minute and hmm. i guess i'm wondering how do you manage stress as you approach those last that finish line how do you stay focused and not crumble <laughs> <laughs> well wait, i mean when you come so th th you know there's there's the, the sort of normal process for this stuff is you know you you're working towards a release candidate and that's being tested by a lot of different people um and are that you start kind of triaging you go through a list of priorities well you know every game ships with bugs that's just the way it is you can't you can't account for every use case so you end up having kind of a backlog of oh, okay we got to fix this and this okay when does that actually get patched in and fixed but leading it to launch you start identifying very high level like oh this is going to crash the game or this is not going to or this is going to make the game unstable so any any kind of like last minute pushes are all in service to maintaining game stability more than anything else mm. um, 
So if you saw anything like that, that's that's what it was. In terms of us crumbling, <laughs> um, we you know every game studio has a different way of of kind of functioning. We tried really hard on the, the last two projects not to crunch, but inevitably um, there's always a couple people, you know, or three people where. Um, they're, they're just wearing too many hats and they have to work more than anybody, anybody else on the team. Everybody worked very, very hard on this, on this production. It was very much a passion project in that way. But um, yeah, the, the wheels definitely start coming off at the end when you're just, you know, you've pushed it as hard as you possibly can, both physically and mentally. And it's kind of the nature of video game production as much as you try to get away from it. Even when you're like super conscientious of you know, over time, um, it's really, really, it's just a super difficult medium. It's not, I mean, I would say it's even harder than making a movie. Those guys get paid for crazy overtime. They expect it, but they're dealing with a linear narrative and nothing ever changes from that. And the edit is the edit and there is no bug, bug fixing. And there are no user use cases or knock-ons from users breaking a system or doing something unexpected. Like video game production is just hard. Just, just flat out hard. Period. Um, and VR is an interesting multiplier of that. So, <laughs> you have kind of known things that you're up against in video game production, but then you add VR's unknowns to that matrix, and it's yes, it's a force multiplier. Very difficult. Um, and I don't know. You just force yourself through it, I guess. <laughs> and so, and so, I guess, what does launch day look like in that scheme of of ongoing development? Because you mentioned. Uh, wanting to do updates uh, almost weekly, I, I believe. Uh, and I want to understand, is there a breather here? Are you able to take a breather? And uh, what are you looking for now from the community? So so what yeah. sort of feedback are you hoping to receive? Yeah, we're, we're a pretty small studio. So, you know, we're 13 right now. Um, so what we kind of do or what we try to do is kind of do rolling time off for different people. Um, just in terms of like the mechanics of running a studio, it's just um, trying to give people, you know, adequate time to take some downtime after completing a project. At the same time, while making sure we have support for the community because they're expecting different things. Um, so that that's all in the works. Um, yeah, in terms of like updates, we we do plan, you know, kind of like bi-weekly updates or monthly updates. Um, and it, again, we're always triaging. We're always like measuring what what is most important to release as a feature or what is most important to release as a fix for a problem that might bubble up because we can't test for everything despite best efforts right mm -hmm. um so what we're what we're hoping from the community is just um you know we we have a, a personal backlog of uh there's a bunch of um, wish list items we have for for what we want to see go into the game uh we're hoping for a pretty like open and liberal back and forth process with the community so that we understand what they want versus what we think we want and that they want <laughs> um, so that we can open that kind of conversation and dialogue. Um, of course, we're always going to be, you know, fielding bug reports. That stuff's just going to happen and we're going to, you know, prioritize them as they come in. Pistol Whip is such a fascinating game to me, uh, just in so many fronts. Uh, and that's, uh, I guess I'll just start off with my sort of, range of experience with it so you kind of start off on normal mode with one gun uh firing at these people that are coming in these these shadows that are running in from the sides 
and getting sort of to memorize where they're coming from, seeing where the platforms and the buildings kind of create spaces for them to run out for you to, to aim at. And I want to say it's maybe one or two playthroughs through the game when you start realizing your aim doesn't need to be perfect um, for you to still hit most of these targets that are running out in various places. And I, I played the game on Index at first for quite a, a lot of hours. And then uh, within the last few weeks, I got access to the, in, to, to the Quest version. And it's, a, it's such an amazing example of the differences between wired and wireless uh, gaming because I absolutely adore the sound on Index. The speakers are amazing right off your ears. I love the visuals when it's running at 120 frames per second with that resolution. It's just, it's a, it's an absolutely gorgeous experience. And my eyes feel more comforted uh, in there compared with uh, even, say, a Quest. Um, but then I started getting to hard. I, I started practicing the levels on Quest and getting in with that beat. And I started realizing that because I'm wireless on Quest, I actually feel confident enough to jump into the air and bring my pistol down on a bad guy at just the right beat. And that's something I didn't feel confident enough with a, with a tether running down my back to a PC to feel like I could do without harming myself. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's such a fascinating difference because, uh, yeah, the index I could play for hours because visually comfort is off the charts for me. I love, I feel great coming out of there after an hour where I might feel a little bit of a headache or a little sore after maybe that same length of session in a quest. Um, I want to know sort of, that's my impression, but what, as you as a developer on the developer side of things, how do you take all these things into account? Are these things you notice when you're developing the game and how does that relate to the end product? Yeah. I mean, without writing a novel um <laughs> i i think uh you know we we knew just as a studio in the the current marketplace of vr which is you know it's a it's a it's always been a trepidatious um market where you have to place some pretty safe bets um our studio didn't play safe bets with um the gallery we went for um you know call of the star scene and heart of the emberstone we went for something that we thought you know, people wanted. We we thought, oh, let's let's shoot for the moon. Let's let's try to really bury a user in a deeply narrative, very immersive experience. High, you know, high quality, high budget um, visual values, um, really detailed uh, interaction systems, all this stuff. We did that, and if if this had been you know a normal video game market, we would have been tapping into that mist like. Um, portion of the market, which would have made it economically viable. But VR has had this very slow growth curve that we've all seen, right? So in getting to your question, the, the, the reason Pistol Whip became what it was, was because we had to look at what was working on the market, kind of doing a really deep dive in dissecting the top 10 titles that were always being played or experienced on all marketplaces, and then really digging down and picking apart the, the values and the pillars of those experiences and then trying to apply it to kind of our narrative sensibilities in terms of what we wanted a person to feel when they played a game like this. Um, so 
but we knew at that point, we recognized that, you know, the only way to remain a viable VR studio of medium size would be to build something that hit those marks. And in order to do that, we also had to account for PSVR. We had to account for Quest. And so basically from bottom to top, high end to, to you know, visually low end, we had to figure out something that would work on all platforms. So we started from that premise. Like what, what are the, what's the visual bar we actually have to hit in order to deliver on all of these platforms? And then secondarily, you know, what's, what's resonating with users and, and what is onboarding new users um, uh, so that we can help the market grow just kind of in general with whatever we're bringing out. Uh, I think it's a fair question to ask. Do you, do you think Pistol Whip's going to sell headsets? Yes. Mm. I do. I, 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 I say that because that was a, that was a significant part of design. Um, you know, we had a number of different pillars for what we needed to hit. And one of them was, you know, if you don't understand this game in the first 30 seconds, then we've already failed. So I believe it's the kind of game that you can put on a family member or a relative or a stranger at the bus stop on a quest <laughs> and, and that they will viscerally understand. There's no, um, you know, I put my dad in the other night. My dad's getting up there. He's 77 or, you know, he's getting aged and, uh, he, I didn't have to explain anything to him. His body took over cause he, it was just this visceral understanding of survival. Right. You know, I, I, I agree there, but I, I still, I got to talk about the people that forget to dodge. Right. Yes. Why, why does that happen? Well, mm-hmm. why do I don't Are they trained by flat screens? Yes. But like, I put it on a, on a couple people and they just forget that, oh, my, my head actually moves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, yeah. So and my dad is actually a good example because he knows, he knew from prior experience that VR allowed, you know, this liberal freedom of motion. So he took, I guess he took that part for granted. Um, we're still at that phase where if you put a completely green person into VR, um, you have to tell them to physically move their body because exactly that they've been acclimated to look at a, a 2d screen and have no uh, impact on, on movement at all. Mm. So uh, I, I think, let me focus this question specifically on you as sort of the leader of your team. You've been through the trenches of the early days of VR and you've had to keep a studio together through that evolution of finding out what people uh, actually want and you've spent the, the the last year on the development of this game pistol whip that uh, released right before you came into the studio which is an experimental piece of software itself um, but I, I want to understand sort of do you ever take a breather and t- take a deep breath and realize uh, I don't have to worry so much about uh, the studio having trouble making enough money or keeping all the people employed that you've been employing for this length of time. Is there, you know, like a threshold in your mind for how many units pistol whip needs to sell in order for this weight to be lifted off your shoulders? And is there a weight on your shoulders? Hmm. <laughs> well, there was for a long time. There was a weight, there was a significant weight on the studio's shoulders, but that, I mean, I mean, I could say as a, broad statement to the VR market as a whole. That's I've seen so many VR studios close down over the last two to three years. 
Um, and and these were people that were arguably putting out great VR products. And it's it was just simply because the marketplace wasn't big enough to support them. Them or the vision. You know, again, it's like this fractional market thing. If this had been flat screen PC market, they would have been fine. But it's VR, and there's we're still, you know, building up the the player base. Um, so. And, and and as a studio, we rode that same kind of curve, that up and down, like, oh, well, are we going to be okay to here and to here and to here in terms of our, our burn rate and our runway? Um, Cloudhead, thankfully, even without taking investment, has done that. And not many studios can say that. <laughs> um, so we've been doing okay. Um, and more recently, we've been doing even more okay. And I can't get into all the reasons why, but um, we'll talk to that um, soon. So Pistol Whip, um, I, th- I think my, my worries are very different. They're not, it, they're not so much financially based at this, at this point. Um, they're just, you know what? Honestly, it just comes down to having a studio of people that work and build products together. They spend more time here than they do at their, with their families at the, at the dinner table. So making people happy here at the studio has actually become my worry. That's actually my most significant worry. Um, Pistol Whip, I think, is going to do just fine. I think it's going to compete and, and it's going to do very well on market. Um, just and, and I said this earlier, but uh, my validation for that kind of came from a lot of our peers in the industry who have been doing this a long time and gave us some very candid feedback behind the scenes saying, you guys did kind of the right mix of things here and it's going to do very well on market. And, you know, they kept telling us that and we kept kind of a cautious approach to, you know, whether our friends were just blowing smoke up our ass or if that was a true statement. But as we get more reviews and and previews coming out um, from the player base, we're we're starting to believe that a lot more. Anyways, I think it's going to do good. Um, I think it's going to, do very well for our studio. And I also think um, it will be a great onboarding tool for new users. Mm. Uh, Let me ask about hand tracking. I don't know how how long this has been. This has been a a really fun conversation and I don't know how many more uh, questions I have uh, left. The the one I want to ask about is hand tracking and how uh, I was really impressed with the hand tracking at Oculus Connect 6, except it didn't seem great for games. As a developer of several games, I have to ask, what do you think the applications are there for you? Yeah, I, well, I personally am really excited about hand tracking. I've been excited about it since um, Leap Motion was doing all their incredible work um, with hand tracking. And I think a, a few of them have moved on since to Oculus um, to help with that initiative. Uh I like in terms of again in terms of an onboarding thing. It's the first thing new users look for when they put a headset on. It's like, well, where's my hands? Once you have that in play, it's it's a significant uh, friction point thing. That it's, it's another one of these friction points that are removed from the equation, which is which is just going to help the ecosystem in general. Uh, as a developer, I'm actually pretty excited about it in terms of uh, you know. Deep, uh, deep dives into narrative and expressive and and uh, content and, and doing these tiny manipulations within an environment because I, there's no better surrogate than your hands to do these these little things even though you're losing you know some some tactile 
um, haptic feedback in that loop of things, I still think it's a more potentially compelling um, way to interact with the environment. Um, that said, I th- so what I kind of think will happen is that will be brought up to a significant level where it works great. Um, and at that point, you're going to be relying on secondary um, peripheral support. So if I want to play a gun game, well, I'm going to buy a gun controller. You know, something that's really only giving me um, maybe some tracking data, but it's giving me haptics and it's giving me a trigger to push. Um, the future is definitely in hand tracking. I've always believed that. So I have high hopes for it. Interesting. So would you say uh, you can't play pistol whip? With just finger guns, or you can. You, you, yeah, you you could, but you would lose haptic feedback, which I think is actually a, a pretty significant downer. Like in that type yeah. of experience, you want you really, and in some cases, you really need that level of haptic um, feedback. So that being said, I've also seen um, in, at sort of small micro haptic devices like thimbles that slip onto your, the end of your finger that deliver a haptic impulse. Um, I'm hoping we see solutions like that, like as peripheral technologies that help with these type of experiences. Mm. Interesting. Well, uh, that's a lot of the questions I, I, I had prepared. I, I think it's interesting that you came in here right after sort of all these people uh, downloading your game and you mentioned sort of, I mean, you, you, is, it, is the office really like computer screens are open and everyone's got different dashboards that are letting them see how many downloads the game's getting and uh, <laughs> it, it, are you watching the numbers intently and sort of trying to stay yes. calm? Yeah, so, so like, you know, Paul's in his office right now, kind of jealously guarding the builds and seeing how things are going. Denise is upstairs and, and she's watching computers. And then our, our main kind of meeting and uh, ideation room is full of everybody else. And they've all got their phones out. Everybody's watching feeds, you know, and there's a, there's a main TV where we're displaying everything. Everybody's pretty excited to watch, you know, the feedback come in. And we're just kind of, we're talking about it. We're here celebrating, but we're also trying to be reactive to whatever is, is coming down the pipe. I guess the only thing I want to say to the, you know, the, our, our, our new users and our new kind of family of, of ecosystem users is that we have a very long roadmap for pistol whip um, that we plan on supporting um, really diligently. So, um, yeah, I mean, even cost is something that it's going to come up. It comes up with every game release and users, you know, identifying what they think is an appropriate cost for this or that. We came out with the price that we came out with essentially because we have a very long roadmap in front of us and, and users are going to get a very high value add to the thing that they're buying. It's not just going to sit stagnant. There's a lot of stuff coming out and a lot of it is free. Um, and we have a high confidence in that. So they should feel good with their purchase. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, for coming up on this podcast right after launching your game. And uh, thank you for everyone for tuning in. And uh, please leave us comments on all the uh, Pistol Whip videos. Come check our review if you haven't seen the game, uh, don't have a good sense of what it is. Uh, and subscribe to the VR Download and check with us next week. Thanks thank you so much, Denny. Yeah, take care. Thank <laughs> you.